Has anybody here, show hands, heard the name, know the man, or heard the man named Jermaine Edwards? Anybody? I didn't think so. And honestly, I didn't get to know the name of Jermaine Edwards because of something. Oh, I got to know it because of something he did. He wrote a song. And, but I never heard him sing the song until I heard somebody else sing it. And the song that he wrote was called Beautiful Day. Beautiful song. I've seen it's a lot on, there's a lot of it on the internet now. And uh, see, but it's not because Jermaine sang it. It's because this approximately 12-year-old Jamaican boy, Jamaican boy named Rushan sang it. And uh, I want to show you, it's just a short, short video. This morning I wake up and I look in the mirror. Every part of my body was in the place many people lie. I don't want to act too high and mighty because tomorrow I may fall down on my face. Lord, I thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Thank you for joy. Thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. All right. Now you can see why it became famous, right? That is cute. But it has a great message, that song does, right? Beautiful day. Thank you for sunshine. I thank you for rain. I thank you for joy. I thank you for pain. It's learning to rejoice. And it really is a Christian song. The, the version that Jermaine Edwards wrote is a full version, of a full song, and it goes in very complete, and it definitely is a Christian song. However, it never became famous until... God used it in the hands of that little boy. You never know what, what, how plans may change and how God may use something you do in a way you didn't expect. And um, today we are going to continue on in the book of John, John chapter 11. We're talking about, you see right there, Lazarus. And the title of my sermon is called The Choice. And uh, so we're going to go back. And because of this, the typical the style of the sermon and because it's chapter 11 is one long story, I'm going to do a little review, then we'll, I'll work our way through the scripture, today's scripture, and then we'll have an application. You know, Cliff has, you know, came off with three-part sermons, then he went to two. This is a one-point sermon. All right. Uh, as you know, the chapter begins with word coming to Jesus and his disciples that Lazarus is sick. And, and a friend of Jesus, you know, Lazarus, he gets seriously sick. His sisters send message to Jesus. They know where he's at. And they send it, and they said, he's sick. You need to come right away. And so Jesus' response is simple. This death will, does not end, this sickness does not end in death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Okay, that sounds good. He's not going to die. At least that's the assumption, right? If somebody said does not end in death, that would be my assumption, right? Uh, he does, he's not going to die, so no big problem. But it also sounds a little mysterious. Uh, what's this about glorifying God and the Son of God? What's this about? We don't know at this point. They certainly don't know what he's talking about. But they're thinking, well, Lazarus is going to get better, so hey, we're good. And it looked really good because Jesus and his disciples were at the location where they were at because Jesus' life was at stake. There were people trying to kill him, people who wanted to put him to death because of all his claims and all the things he was doing, and they wanted to permanently silence him. And so they went, you know, they, they went across the river, they went across the Jordan into another location where it was safe, 
And so, hey, that's good. So what does Jesus do? He stays for two more days and said, okay, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him. What? You're going to. But Jesus, don't you know they want to kill you over there? Lazarus, you see, was in Bethany. And this town was only two miles from Jerusalem where everybody wanted to kill him. Go ahead and show the map real quick. You see Jerusalem there on the left. You see the big old point there where Bethany is. It's just two miles from Jerusalem. It's really close to the place wherever the center of the people who wanted to kill Jesus and put him to death. And so they're thinking, wait, wait, wait. You said he went to sleep. That's good. He's going to get better. There's no reason for you to go. But what was Jesus' response? He says, I, basically, the damn paraphrase is, I have to do what I have to do that is right. I know it's the right thing to do. I know I have to go, and so we're going to go. And so what does Thomas say? Well, let's go die with him. They were willing to go with him, willing to accomplish him, and accomplish what Jesus wanted to accomplish. They didn't know all that was going to happen, but they were willing to go with him, especially even Thomas. So as they get close to Bethany, as you know, Jesus, at this point, he's so famous, he can't hardly get anywhere. People ran ahead, found out who he was and where he was going. And, and so some people went and told Mary and Martha, or at least told Martha initially, and said, hey, Jesus is just, he's close by. And so what she do? She gets up and she runs out the door, runs to Jesus, and, uh, and they have this little discussion over the resurrection. And Jesus declares to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So Martha makes a clear declaration. Remember what Jesus said earlier? In verse 4, I know I didn't read verse 4, but he said, this will not end in death, but will result in the glory for God so that the Son of God will be glorified. To me, this is the first declaration that I can see where Jesus himself declares himself to be the Son of God. Earliest time. Now, other people who declared him to be the Son of God, Peter had done it earlier. And here we see Martha does the same thing. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So now we're going to pick it up at verse 28. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here with you, and he's calling for you. Why did Mary Martha whisper? Well, it's probably to protect Jesus. You wonder, you know, hey, you would think maybe she went in and shout, right? But no, she just whispered in Mary's ear. And so in verse 29, and when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not come into the village but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just listen to that statement. Just look at it. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. 
She had no doubt in what she said. She had full confidence. She had seen enough and she had heard enough about Jesus and what Jesus had done because she had been with him on a lot of occasions and she had no doubt that Jesus could have brought, could have kept Lazarus from dying. But also it seems to me that it's a little like an accusation. You didn't care enough to keep him from dying. We sent you word about his sickness, and you know she had had to hear about the times that just with a spoken word, even though Jesus wasn't nearby, he spoke and they were healed. Kind of like an accusation. We sent you word about his sickness. I thought you loved us, yet you let him die. She knew that he could have been healed, but now in her mind, it is too late. Lazarus is dead, and it's too late to do anything about it. Why didn't you care enough to heal someone you loved? Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. That's interesting when it says that he was deeply moved. It's an interesting word in the Greek, and I'm not going to try to tell you what the word is. But it has multiple meanings. But most often it means he was very angry. Which is kind of surprising. Most commentators think that's exactly what it means. He was angry at what he was seeing. And why would he be angry? People have speculated, why was he so upset? By their, because of their limited faith? Maybe the, their faith and the faith of everybody else in, in, in general. Maybe Jesus was mad and Maybe he was mad because of death. After all, he had come to this earth to provide a solution for death. So that people would no longer experience eternal death. And one day, we, according to his word, according to the Bible, death will be dealt a final blow. It will be no more. And death will be overcome. And we will no longer know it. And no more sorrow, no more weeping because of death. Can you look forward to that day? But also, perhaps, I think maybe there was some sorrow because of all the mourners. He was moved by their emotion, moved by, he was human. And sometimes when people are in so such sorrow, it's hard to not be moved by their needs and by their weeping. I think maybe perhaps it was a combination of both. Maybe he was angry at death, but also maybe he was sorrowed because of their sadness. So in verse 36. So the Jews were saying. See how he loved him. But some of them said. Could not this man. Who opened the eyes of the blind man. Have kept him also from dying. Once again. It comes out as an accusation. Doesn't it. He didn't care enough. To prevent their suffering. He didn't care enough. To keep Lazarus alive. Yes, they knew from all the stories they'd heard about Jesus. They knew he should have been able to keep Lazarus alive, but he didn't do it. 
Doesn't that kind of sound familiar today? We know God is able to do so much, and so many times we are disappointed when God does not do the thing that we ask him to do. Verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, same word, angry, deeply moved, extreme emotion, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone, Martha. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, here's a problem we often, we also always face. They knew what, what they knew to be true was getting in the way of what Jesus was going to do. They were at odds with one another. They didn't understand that. God had a plan. Jesus had a plan. He was going to do something miraculous. They didn't know what he was going to do. And what they knew was in conflict with what Jesus was about to do. Now, Cliff mentioned last week two things. He mentioned by the fourth day, of course, the body was decomposing. There was a smell. I don't know if anybody if you've ever smelled a dead body. What well, doesn't matter if it's human or animal, but you get too close and it's really strong, especially if it's inside, it's controlled. A uh, little fact from my past, my dad grew up, I grew up with my dad having started, helping to start, uh, he served in the local fire department. And he was instrumental in helping start the volunteer for rescue squad. He became an EMT, and I, when I got old enough, I was become I had become an EMT. I was thinking about maybe becoming a paramedic, and because I kind of liked that idea of helping people and doing good in that way. Until God changed my mind and sent me in a different path. But however. There was one day about midnight, my dad came to my door, and my, uh, I was asleep. And he said, you need to come, come with me. I said, what? He said, I want you to smell something. I said, what are you talking about? And he took me to a house just a half a block from, there's an apartment about half a block from our house on our main street. We live just off main street. And a small little town called Meridocia, and... There was a man who had been dead for days. He, the, went, the door on his uh, oven was open, and it was hot in that apartment. Been there for days. Literally, I didn't have to get close to the door. I could stand out in the middle of the street. Literally, I did. And I didn't want to get any closer. It was a bad smell. To imagine in heat and all that and decay, it is something you never forget. It gets in your nostrils and it doesn't want to leave. You get too close, it gets in your clothes and it's hard to wash out if you get it on you. They knew it was too late because there was a smell. But he also mentioned, Cliff also mentioned, that the Jews believed the soul hovered over the body for three days, and by the fourth day it was gone. There was no more hope for the soul to be returned to the body. So Mary and Martha knew, and those who loved Lazarus knew that it was too late for Lazarus to be healed. He smelled of decay, and his spirit had departed. That is what they knew. One, they could smell. Two, they had been taught something they had been taught. The next then next, Jesus makes a statement to Martha in verse 40. 
Jesus said to her, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I thought, why did he say that? He was going to bring Lazarus back to life. We know there are other instances like the man who was healed by the pool of Bethesda. He really didn't have a lot of faith. Matter of fact, he turned out to be a tattletale. Not the type of guy you would think that would, somebody would heal, right? At least not God, not the righteous God, sinless God. He cared for this man enough to heal him, even though he really apparently had no faith. He just wanted to, he was just tired of being sick. But he had no real faith in Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And yet Jesus healed him. So we know it wasn't necessary for Martha to understand what she was going to do. But if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I think she had a choice to make. And it wasn't a choice that was going to allow Lazarus to come back to life. Jesus was going to do that. I think the choice she had to make was, one, she needed to believe that God still loved her no matter what. God still loved her no matter what. You see, even as she was suffering with her mourning, God still loved her and had a plan that would make all, everything all right eventually. Most times, as we know, when somebody dies, there is no bringing them back, except for Cliff back there, most of the time, right? His heart stopped three times in the hospital a little over a week ago, and uh, he's here today. Thank you, God, right? Amen. But, yes, but God had a plan that would make everything all right eventually. And we think, oh, yeah, she even knew about the resurrection. She believed in the resurrection. One day I will see Lazarus again because everybody will be resurrected. And so I'm looking forward to that day. But Jesus had a different plan that he was going to do, much like that song of Jermaine Edwards, he wanted to become famous as he was, but God had a plan that had become famous another way. But I think not only did she need to believe that God still loved her, she needed to trust Jesus. Even if Lazarus remained dead, even as God allowed her and Mary and those who loved them suffer in mourning, she needs to trust Jesus. Sometimes in our suffering, we're so blinded by grief to the point that we no longer have faith. We can let it go away. And sometimes we remain angry and frustrated, even when God is glorified in our suffering. And because all that happens, we remain angry. And it's even worse if we can't see the good that's come out of it. We want to know. We want to have a reason. And we're told there's a reason for suffering. We're told all these things. And, and, yet, and because we're told this and because we believe this, we want to know what it is. We want to have our reasons. But sometimes we just never find out. Sometimes we just have to trust that God is using what we're going through for His glory. 
Jesus told Martha, you will see the glory of God. What if Martha remained so fixated on her suffering and her past suffering that even after Lazarus was brought back to life, she was still withholding trust in God because she didn't trust him enough to get her through the next problem without suffering. Romans 8, 28 says once again, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say God keeps us from suffering. It just says God causes all things to work together for good. God is at work using our difficulties and our problems. Now the stage was set. It was time to show the world that not only he had the power to prevent death, they all knew that. He'd healed so many people at this point. It's time to prove to them that he also had the power to restore life even when all hope was gone. The Son of God would be glorified in this act. This is the lesson that everyone needed to learn. This is where the Son of God would be glorified. So in verse 41... So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me. It's not nice to have confidence like that. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. That who? The Father sent me. God the Father sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And the man who died, who had died, came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. What a glorious time. I will say it again. Jesus declared that Lazarus became sick so that the Son of God, who? The Son of God would be glorified. That was what he predicted in verse 4. That's what he told them was going to happen. The Son of God would be glorified in a way that no one else had seen yet to that point. Yes, there are other people he had brought back to life, but they hadn't decayed. They hadn't been dead four days. There was a you know, little boy who was being carried out, you know, probably the same day he died, carried out to be buried in the tomb. And, he got, and Jesus brought him back to life. There was the little girl, Jairus' daughter. He had brought her back to life just shortly after her death. But this was a man who was decayed, and he was dead four days. He showed something that no one else expected. With those other two, well maybe, that, well, maybe they weren't really dead. Maybe they only thought they were dead, and now, they're, you know, now he, they were resuscitated, whatever. This was clear. He was dead. And Jesus had the power over death. So I ask you, what is glory? If the Son of God would be glorified, what does it mean for that to happen? It's taken from a Hebrew word, kavod. The term connotes 
denotes honor and fame as coming from social status that includes greatness, wealth, or power, and the acknowledgement of others. It's like a king and displayed in all his glory and all his wealth. He's showing off to the people. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was showing off to the people. Look at what I can do. Look at the power that I have. Look at what God the Father is doing through me. Look at my glory. And yet some of the people who are friends of Lazarus may have asked, why did he make them suffer with sorrowful days? It was so that he, his glory could be put on display. We now, because of this act, we now understand beyond a shadow of doubt that God's power does not end at death. And along those lines, we need to trust that our suffering can result in a greater understanding of God. So that no matter the outcome, God was glorified then and God can be glorified in our lives today. So we have a choice. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? I emphasize, why did Jesus tell Martha to believe even after she had expressed great faith in Jesus? There was still something in here that needed greater belief. Within our lives, we have, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have faith in Jesus. We have some faith in Jesus. Sometimes faith may be lacking in some other areas of our life, especially in times when things aren't going the way that we would want them to go. Earlier we sang the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Now, we only sang two verses of this song, but the last one we sang was verse 4. And verse 4, once again, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. That's the type of faith we need to have, even when things aren't going the way we would want them to go. Do you believe, truly believe that even in your sorrow, that Jesus is with you? When you, we, when you fully trust God, do, do we realize that the world, do we realize that the world does not exist to bring us comfort? And then it's okay that if along the way, as we suffer, as we live for God, as our faith is strengthened, as our faith is shining forth in the midst of our suffering and difficulties, do we truly show that God is worth serving no matter what? When bad things happen to us, it does not mean that God hates us or that God is punishing us when we suffer necessarily. Sometimes God uses bad things to make us to wonder and to make us question and to make us think. And I think we need to ask those questions. Is there something that I'm doing that's wrong? And there's nothing wrong with asking that. But a lot of times things happen just because they happen. My neighbor's tree blowing it over into my yard was not due because anything I did. It's just the wind blew it. And I'm having to deal with the, out, the results of it, right? But there are several people I thought of that to me stood out as people of faith, even when things weren't going right. There's a man here that, that I knew that none of you all know. I'm sure he's passed on now. He was a guy I knew back in the, when I was going to college, back in the 80s. Long time ago. 
His name was Bob Calvert. I don't even know if Cynthia remembers him or not. But he went to a church. He was a deacon in a church called Hannibal Baptist Fellowship. It's a church my wife and I were married in. Uh, he was a deacon there. And he was getting ready to retire. And in the few months before he was going to retire and, and, and relax and take it easy from his job, most of his investments fell through. And he suddenly found himself having to work even past his, his retirement. You know what? Huh, no big deal. I'll just work some more years and keep on going. And his attitude was great. It wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to relax and do some other things. Maybe do a second career. Who knows? But he, he didn't get upset, terribly upset by the fact that he'd lost a lot of money just before he was getting ready to retire. A lot of people were made bitter by things like that, right? And then three years ago, if you remember here three years ago, over three years ago, you would remember a woman by the name of Angie Morales. Oh, my goodness. Who could forget her? Oh, man, she was a stalwart of faith, even as she was dealing with the cancer who took her life. But, you know, even in her death, God used that. And the reason I know is three years ago, because her funeral was just like two weeks before COVID hit. And because she was so well-loved, we, we knew we were going to have a packed house. Between her family, extended family, and everybody in the church knowing her and loving her and all that, we thought, goodness, if we have more people than we can fit in here, we haven't had to have to have a plan. So we bought a camera that we could broadcast up to Facebook, and we set it all up, ready to go, and we broadcast it in case we had to have overflow in Henley Hall. And we had it all set up, ready to go. We didn't need it that day. We actually fit 265 people in here. I know it'll fit more than that. Because it wasn't quite full. But because we had that camera when COVID hit, we didn't have to scramble. We were ready to go online when we had to. God used that in one way. I think he used her, her death in many more ways. But that's one way God used it. Then, more recently, we all know... Hallie Check, at least many of us do here. She's a regular here. She teaches Sunday school when she's able to be here and all that. For those of you who don't know, about a little over two weeks ago, she was in a car wreck that could have killed, easily killed her. She's had four back surgeries. She's had all kinds of things. And there are a couple of miraculous things. One, she's alive. Because if you saw a picture of her car, you'd like, how in the world? And then, okay, she survived the wreck. The amazing thing to me is not just that she survived, but she had no broken bones. Because you see the side of her, side of her car, it is totally crashed in right where she was sitting. She has no broken bones. Not that she had four back surgeries, and her back, the plates and the screws are holding her back together in place and all that. It, they were undamaged. So a lot of good came out. Yes, she's sore. She has a lot of pain. But even in that, she is thankful to God for how God has brought her through to this point. Her testimony, as you talk to her about it, it's just something that will just move you. And as I was talking to her about last week, it just, man, it brought me to tears as we're talking about the, how loving God is to her and, and got her through this. She had faith. She believed. Does your heart have enough faith in God to sing a song like the singing of the song, Beautiful Day? Can you thank God for the rain and the pain of life?
that comes your way. Even when things are less than what we want to be, can you have that type of faith? Do you have that type of faith? In my studies, I came across in, in the commentary I was reading from the Life Application Study Bible in this passage. It says these things about, about prayer. Our prayers are arrogant if we assume how God will answer. Our prayers are confident if we affirm that God listens. Our confidence comes not from what we pray or how we pray, but to whom we pray. God does not require volume or repetition. The whispered simple prayer echoes in the halls of heaven as loudly as the lofty composition voiced in unison by thousands. God listens when you pray. I tell you, God is not a God worthy of serving and believing in just because when things are going well. He is a worthy God when, and to serve and to be faithful in, even when things are not going in according to our plans that we would desire. And lastly, I'll leave you with this. Jesus truly is the Son of God. Come down to earth for the main purpose of providing payment for our sin. He did what he set out to do. He accomplished all that he wanted to accomplish. And today I ask you, and as the, our team comes forward, and as we're getting ready to pray, do you believe? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? But maybe right now you're going through a hard time, and um, things are bad, and maybe your faith is wavering a little bit, and you just need to pray a little bit more. We have a prayer team. If you want to come up and pray at the front, that will come and pray with you. If you want to come and talk and pray with me, I'll be glad down here at the front and pray. But if you don't have faith in God, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you have. Maybe you face an uncertain future. We have to place our faith in Jesus to, be, to begin with. And Jesus said, for those of us who... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you never committed to living for God, it's time that you believe in him enough to commit to living for him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for all you've done on our behalf. And I just pray, dear God, that you help us to live for you. Help us to have faith. Help us to believe when things are going well, when things are going bad. But most of all, help us to trust you for our salvation. And this we pray. Amen.